Welcome to the Think Christian Podcast. Josh Larson here with another edition of the TC Movie Club to share with you. We're getting this one out just before Halloween because the subject of our gathering this time was horror. What is it good for? Jumping off my recent book, Fear Not, A Christian Appreciation of Horror Movies, we discussed titles like The Witch, The Babadook, Relic, and more. I was also happy to have Fuller Theological Seminary professor Cutter Calloway as guest co-host. Cutter was one of my editors on Fear Not. He's also behind Christianity Today's recent limited podcast series, Be Afraid. If you like what you hear at the movie club and want to become a member, that's easy. Just sign up at thinkchristian.net slash movie club. That's thinkchristian.net slash movie club. We'll return with a regular episode of the podcast in the next week or so. A discussion of the new Wilco album, Cousin, is on tap. For now, here's our TC Movie Club conversation about horror. Welcome, everyone. I'm Josh Larson, editor at thinkchristian.net and host of the TC Movie Club. It's good to have you at our fall 2023 session. You can insert your own spooky sound effect here because we are going to be talking horror. I'm happy to be doing this alongside our usual chat moderator and TC contributor, Zachary Lee, as well as a special guest who I'll bring on in just a moment. But first, a little setup here. Horror has long been a topic of fascination with Christians, starting with the basic question, should we watch it? Okay, if so, why are we watching it? And then the really difficult one, uh, how do we watch horror if we're going to do this? It seems to me in recent years, the genre, it's only grown more popular and those questions more insistent. I know I myself get more and more of them each year. And the folks at Fuller Theological Seminary, they thought it would be good to have a book to offer into the conversation as part of their Real Spirituality monograph series. And so they commissioned me to write, Fear Not, A Christian Appreciation of Horror Movies, which was recently released. And I have one of my editors on this project here, Fuller Professor Cutter Calloway is with us tonight. Cutter also produced and hosts the new limited series podcast for Christianity Today, Be Afraid, which is exploring some of these questions. So welcome, Cutter. Are you ready to do even more horror talk with us here tonight? Oh, yes. Uh, it's a timely, timely conversation. And uh, not only because of the time of year, but also because it's everything I've been thinking about all day, every day for the last few months. So <laughs> yes. I'm ready to to, to gush it out. You have been immersed. And yeah, we're doing this about a week before Halloween itself. And we hope to squeak this out into our podcast feed um, just in time for people to get it before then. But horror, I don't think, I mean, obviously it's huge this time of year, but there isn't really a down season. Maybe, you know, the week around Christmas, although there seems to be now even a Christmas-related, a holiday-related horror release. And then January, suddenly we get a burst of new horror, and it just continues throughout the year. So definitely, if there's a time of year to focus on it, though, uh, it would be now. So we're going to do that. Now, Cutter, between you know commissioning a book, between producing a podcast, um, you know, you and your colleagues must have sensed that it was time for Christians to, interested in film, to give some serious consideration to horror. Bring me back a little bit beyond these recent months, but when you first started having some of these planning conversations, what led you to this conclusion? What, what did you notice that brought this awareness about for you? Um, well, it's a good question. It's probably a culmination of a lot of things, um, but 
really just at a certain point. I mean, my main sort of area of expertise is uh, theological interpretation of, of culture um, and specifically cultural artifacts um, and uh, and kind of observing uh, society and the things that they make and then asking the question, what has God up to there? And for a long time, most of my life, I actually was not into horror. I didn't, I couldn't handle it. It like messed with me. <laughs> um, it stuck with me, you know, nightmares, all the things. Um, but at a certain point I realized as sort of like an anthropologist and a person interested in cultural productions, I, I couldn't ignore it anymore. Um, and that especially came to a head when some students of mine at Fuller were like, we want to start making horror movies, um, mm. as, as part of sort of our vocation. Um, and I'm like, all right, then I guess I need to go there with you. So um, a few different moving parts, but that was kind of the, the the final straw that broke the camel's back for me of going like, okay, this is legitimate um, in terms of just a, a piece of culture. Um, but then also it's, it's too, as you said, um, too many people are watching too many horror films um, for me to ignore them um, simply because I had some sort of sensitivities to it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's fascinating because horror has long been an entry point for young new filmmakers. You know, the, it can be done cheaply. Um, it's a genre that uh, producers are willing to fund and get behind because it's profitable. So in your experience, though, because you have worked with student filmmakers for many years, has there been a delay? Is, is there a little bit of a lag in that community where Christians who wanted to get into filmmaking have decided, okay, we want to get into this too. Is that something relatively new, do you think? I think a little bit. It depends on who it is. So like if you take the your normal sort of Christian college undergrad who goes to a film school, it is in part because the path like the pre-legitimated pathways haven't been set up where they go, oh, I can do that. Now I think that also has changed a bit, um, probably with two or three key people. We probably can't understate the influence of Scott Derrickson in this conversation. He, you know, set up a pathway for all sorts of people. And then I'll also add the Hayes brothers in there. Speaking of Christmas, Halloween, and then other times of the year, I was talking to them recently and The Conjuring was first slated for a, a Halloween release. Um, and as they started testing it with audiences, um, they're like, oh, this is like off the charts. And they shifted it to summer that year um, mm -hmm. or the following year. And it actually outperformed most of the other uh, major blockbusters then in the middle of the summer. And they were like, that's not a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and they too are, I mean, like explicitly <laughs> engaging, not just horror, but supernatural horror uh, questions of, I mean, and it, uh, if you all, last time you all saw The Conjuring and into that movie, it's just like a, it's like an open appeal for the reality of God um, and, uh, and, and supernatural sort of good over evil in the form of Christians. Do I mean, it's just profound to me to think, if you compare most of the pathways for what we would call Christian filmmakers, especially young, they generally have skewed, I think, in the, in the recent past toward the, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Air quotes is not good enough, but Christian films, whatever those are, mm -hmm. um, that nobody watches. I'm sorry if any of you are here making Christian films, but, um, and and yet here we have some really prominent outspoken people who um, are making great horror films. Um, and I think now, because of that, the last 10 years, um, you've seen a slight shift of, of people going, hey, I could do that mm. too. And that's yeah. legitimate and fine being a person of faith and doing it. Yeah, yeah. Love The Conjuring. And Scott Derrickson, of course, probably the breakout exorcism of Emily Rose, and, and he's gone on to make a number of films since then. Um, all right. So, so you've been editing Fear Not. You've been interviewing folks for Be Afraid. You've been doing your own thinking. 
on the topic. And through all of that, you've encountered many arguments for the theological value of the horror genre, especially for, for Christians. So do you have what I'm going to call an elevator defense you could offer at this point? You know, you, you, we have the elevator pitch idea, a quick, concise, zeroed-in argument that, that people pitch in elevators. But what about a defense, something you would offer of why horror is worth serious consideration by Christians? Yeah. Um, and maybe I'll say horror in general, not even just film. So we can include, you know, literature and, and other forms too. But sure. I, I think for me, um, at least where I'm at right now, I would say kind of two things. One, um, reality itself is horrific. Um, so many, if not most of us, live a horror story of some version or another that we're trying to wrestle with and make sense of. We also are at least in North America right now, a society driven by fear. And I think if we don't have a space and create some sort of context where we can um, acknowledge and walk in and through those horrors that we live out and sort of navigate and wrestle with the fears that drive us, if we don't do those things, they're going to seep out into other aspects of our life. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we're going to discover that we are being... Um, uh, uh, controlled by those fears and often at the behest of other people who are uh, leveraging our fears toward ends that we wouldn't want. And so I think for the Christian, it's to say, and we could get to the to the sort of Bible version of that, that same argument, but to say we have these stories and these narratives that help us process and work through our fears and anxieties, our dreads, the horrors of real life. And if we don't do that, we need to do it somewhere. Um, and horror offers a unique opportunity to do that. And I also often say, but it's not for everybody. <laughs> you know, everyone doesn't right. have to do it. But man, it, it really is an effective way. Um, if you really want to uh, think through how are people in, in culture and society right now doing that same thing without reference to religion or spirituality or anything, they're already doing it. How might we participate? Yeah. And I like that caveat too. I found myself offering that as well, because as I've been out talking about the book, um, I'm approaching folks who are curious and and I do want to give them that escape route, you know, that escape hatch is, is like, I'm, I'm not saying this is a genre every Christian has to engage with, but, but if you want to, here's why I think it's, it's worthwhile. Um, so I'm, I am curious with Be Afraid, um, the podcast uh, produced through Christianity Today. Now that it's been out, I think there's three episodes out now, um, right? And you're probably getting some feedback from different areas. Uh, I, I'm just curious, what, what responses have you noticed? Are, are people still fairly tentative about this subject or is there an openness to it is there a curiosity maybe you're getting responses that are all over the map yeah it's a good question they are all over the map part of it if any i mean it looks like in the chat some of you have listened to a couple episodes but we did it a little differently um and i've i've done podcasting in the past that's mostly conversational so sit down with a, a scott derrickson and talk to him right and have a good conversation um and this sort of is flexing a different muscle of it's more sort of journalistic. So I'm I'm sort of telling a story within the different interviews and whatnot, and, and actually kind of making a, a claim. I have kind of a thesis with each one. And so people will respond to a couple things. One, oh, I never I never thought Wes Craven had a religious background. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. You know, those sort of things. Or um, or something like, what happened to your friend's haunted house? Tell us more about that. And I was like, well, oh, that's that's just a setup for the other stuff, you know. Um, or uh, as I'd said to you before, I think um a lot of people, I think, and this happens within various realms of evangelical Christianity, 
where I think a lot of folks walk around feeling like they don't have permission to do certain things. Um, and so a lot of the, I think most encouraging feedback I've gotten is almost like, thank you for giving me permission. Your book does that too, of going, hey, it's okay. <laughs> Not only is it okay, it might actually be fruitful despite what you know, you've heard elsewhere. Um, and of course, with that, you always have to do the caveats. But yeah, I think that's that's been the most surprising response, I thought. I thought you'd get, you know, people that think it's not hardcore enough or mm. people who just reject it outright. Um, but but I do think, who knows, argument from silence is the people who hate it and think what I'm doing is awful may just not tune in. So mm-hmm. um, so there's always that. Uh, sure. But I'm sure somebody, someone's going to send some hate mail at some point and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, well, you're at least you're prepared for it when it comes. But, but no, you're you're right. It's um that's been a gratifying response in talking about the book. Is those people have like, I've always enjoyed horror, felt some qualms about it, but not qualms that were necessarily discerning qualms. They were more externally imposed qualms. You know, qualms that I felt like I should be having, um, and. Given now, given space to think about it, I realize, oh well, this is maybe why horror has resonated with me. You know, there is something deeper going on here. So that's that's been yeah gratifying to see. So one more quick question. This is an easy one. Um, you know, now that you've been delving more into horror, I'm going to launch our poll here. We always like to do a poll, and um, we're just asking the folks gathered here tonight what your favorite horror subgenre is. That that's kind of how um, we decided when you were helping me format the book, structure the book. Is let's look at it as subgenres. It's just such a a rich part of the richness of the genre of horror is that it has all of these subcategories. So I was just curious about those who who are here tonight, if they do have a favorite, do you want to share yours, Cutter? And maybe you have to work backwards. Maybe maybe it's process of elimination if you're still getting used to horror. Like, well, I know I can't bear this one, so I'm going to cross that off the list. Well, it's interesting because um, another a current doctoral student of mine is writing some essays on horror as well, and I just really liked how he framed it when people are like giving pushback of, oh, you can't do that or that's bad. And he said, what I found is people to be, I'm a fan of, or I'm, I'm not a horror fan. And he's like, well, what about this movie? And they're like, oh, that doesn't count as horror. <laughs> and, and and so he's like, interestingly, within the subgenres conversation, a lot of times, especially with people that don't like horror, what they really mean is um, I don't like certain films and that's what I count as horror. All the rest mm-hmm. doesn't even count. So <laughs> I think, as I say, I've, I've, I've never been a fan of horror. That's actually not totally true. There's been some specific subgenres that I've never really loved. Um, yes, I did work on on Sarah's Alien book. Yeah, that's all in our our series. Um, that's another great, a, a, almost a a deep dive into a horror franchise, right? Yeah. So I love yeah. the Alien series, and and it is rightly so a a horror film, right? Yep. Um, Scott Scott Teams, who does a lot of writing in horror, um, thinks that's one of the most, at least Alien, um, one of the most terrifying sort of uh movies in terms of buildup of suspense and and where it goes so um i i genuinely um you know like some of the old school stuff um i i don't know if everyone thinks this counts i i'm gonna include seven in there i think it's it's disturbing in all of the horrific ways and then maybe draw a thread to the new sort of art house horror that i've really appreciated lately uh films like the babadook uh mm. Uh, any, any anything by Eggers or Ari Oster, although I haven't seen Bo is not afraid, but I hear that's not really in the in the genre. Yeah. Um, and so I've I, for whatever reason, I like those in part because they're they're just like profoundly disturbing, but they're also 
I want to say um, this sort of new wave of horror that is an explicit exploration of trauma. Um, and that's one thing, especially now societally, I think is uniquely the, the genre is uniquely capable of doing is uh, giving people some uh, space to think through trauma. And I, especially some of the the female uh, filmmakers who are making horror right now, what they're doing. Uh, and I don't know. Are we allowed to spo uh, do spoil alerts? I don't know. Um, um, I mean, but, it depends how recent of the film, I guess. Well, the Babadook's a little recent, so I don't. Anyway, <laughs> go 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 see it. Um, but the ending is just uh, what what makes it. And I think yeah. she is she is doing something really important there that changes that from just a monster film to or a boogeyman film to something really unique. Um, and so I'm really drawn to those kind of. Um, maybe working against the genre tropes that, that are really interesting to me. Mm. So I would say that sounds like a, another vote for psychological horror, which is leading right now uh, in the poll. So yeah, if you haven't go ahead and, and vote in that before the end of our meeting and we'll get a nice, a nice count here. So let's go ahead and open things up and we can continue to talk, you know, generally about the genre uh, we can also zero in on specific titles if we want to. I think I saw Amber Noel pop in. I'm not sure. Yeah, she's she's still there. She had the great idea um, of giving, asking if I could give a couple viewing options in advance of tonight's meeting, a mild, a medium, and a spicy. So I love that suggestion from Amber. So I did out send out an email that mild. I suggested 1941's The Wolfman. Uh, the video essay I made for this, uh, this session of the movie club is all about the Wolfman, drawn largely from what I wrote in my book. The medium suggestion, I just went with Jaws. Um, you know, I consider Jaws horror, and I loved writing the the creature features uh, chapter. And then spicy, I went with A Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, it's my favorite horror movie of all time. I had to find a way to squeeze it in. So, so that's my spicy suggestion. So we can talk about any of those three titles in detail or any other horror title you want to. If you do have questions for me about the book and you've had a chance to read it, happy to take some of those. I'm sure Cutter is more than happy to answer any questions if you've been listening along to the uh, Be Afraid podcast. So a lot of directions we could go as usual. I'm glad to see a good crowd here. Um, again, use that raise hands feature if uh, you don't mind. And it looks like Andrew wants to get us going here. Yeah, I I chose psychological horror and I kind of went back and forth on whether that was going to be, I don't know, whether I uh, that was going to be my default or not. Um, interesting that you uh, chose Nightmare on Elm Street, The Thing, and the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre are probably tied for my two favorites. And what I think is interesting about horror in general is that it's kind of, I don't know, it can be a misnomer to create subgenres just because of so many of them blend together. I think I would consider both of those, the thing in Texas Chainsaw and Nightmare on Elm Street, as you know, Jonathan said to um to be their strength is in the psychological uh exploration of fear. Um and trauma, as Cutter was talking about, is primarily psychological. Um so I yeah, I, I just think that there's uh, 
the horror genre is such a flexible, malleable genre in terms of exploring these things. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like it all. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. Really, all horror, if it's effective, should be psychological. I mean, it's it's just kind of probing our psyche or provoking it in different ways through different tools, different narrative devices. Um, but yeah, if, if it's going to really stick in our guts um, and our psyches, then it's going to have to have that psychological component as well, for sure. Um, I think I liked, uh, feel free if anyone else wants to follow up, just uh, raise hand and we'll get to you. I, what I liked about dividing it for subgenres for the book, at least, is it is it a found, allowed me a way into bring it alongside scripture and consider where fear is addressed in scripture and realize that different sorts of fear is addressed in scripture. It's, I mean, the, the phrase is, you know, do not be afraid, fear not, but it's not always for the same reason. You know, as, as Cutter was mentioning, we mention we experience in our everyday life all sorts of fears, um, all sorts of horror. For some people, it's extreme horror. For some, it's, it's less extreme, but these extreme horror movies can be a reflection of that. And so by suggesting that, you know, creature features are about our fear of nature run amok, that's very particular, you know. Um, psychological thrillers are about the fear of our anxieties, which are particular as well. And so that's what that's what was kind of fun about breaking it down by subgenres for the book. But I do agree. Um, I like your observation that these all meld together in generally in a horror movie. And and usually one, even if you pinpoint it in one subgenre, someone could come and say, Yeah, well, you know, really I, the the way I experience it is it's more of this type of horror. All right, Amber. Did you first thing before you get to your point? Did you go with my spicy suggestion, or did you stay? Did you stay mild? Whoa. <laughs> Ooh, yes, I would agree. And and any regrets? Any any like quick response favorites or? Zero regrets. And I watched The Witch this weekend and at church Sunday had a hard time paying attention because I was dying to find someone there who'd also seen it. <laughs> I was like, oh no, all of my, I'm not sure how many of my like really sweet evangelical friends have seen. <laughs> well, that we're here for you now. So we can, we can discuss the witch now or yeah, go ahead. Where, whatever direction you want to go. Oh, did we lose? Did we lose you, Amber? I think she might've frozen up there. Maybe we'll wait for her to come back. Uh, just a raise of regular hands. How many people here have seen the witch who are on camera? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it is a good and very disturbing one. All right, while we wait for Amber to come back, let's go ahead and jump to Steve. I'm sorry, I was actually raising my hand that I had seen the wig. <laughs> okay, no problem. <laughs> and I gave a shout out to Black Philip in the message board. Oh, I love that movie. Yes, Black Philip when the, when he it showed up and started talking. That was yeah. That was a deal breaker for me. Anyone who's read the book knows that the witch was formative in in getting the book going because Elijah Davidson, my other uh, editor, I saw it with him at Sundance at a midnight screening. It was quite an experience. All right, Philip, how about you? Oh, we went right to me. I thought there were several people with their hands up. Um, so I, I picked slashers on the poll just because they're kind of a lot of fun. <laughs> like, uh, the, But from the categories in your book, I really love what you kind of delineated prophetic horror and sometimes when people are trying too hard 
it's obviously not very fun. Like I know there's kind of a backlash now between like the trauma horror. And I feel like there's a difference between a really good idea, like done as a horror movie versus something going like, okay, like we want to market a movie based on X, Y, Z trauma. But like when it's done kind of organically, like we first connected talking about night of the living dead. And while it's kicked off the whole zombie a thing like that whole trilogy really each kind of has their own very strongly prophetic element looking at a particular part of society um and that's it, it's a fine line between doing it too like ham-fistedly and like on purpose versus it kind of being natural but when it's done well i think that that is some of the very best yeah, and I like how you describe it as um, organically prophetic horror, if it comes about organically, because you can tell when it's orchestrated. And I know there have been critiques, and I'm not the one to make this, but I've read some of these from black film critics about movies post-Get Out. Their critique is that it's exploiting historical black, black trauma um, because it's now... It sounds horrible to put in these terms, but like a hot topic or even a trend, right? And I think yeah. at the same time, I don't want to say like, well, those types of movies should be off limits now. But I think you're right if that's an organic part of the story and what the film is interested in rather than it's trying to exploit a trend, um, then it can be still a worthwhile way of making prophetic horror. I don't know if we want to throw particular uh, films under the bus, but I did just watch on that note specifically. That's funny because like last week I just watched um, bad hair on Hulu mm -hmm. and I felt like that very mm -hmm. much interesting premise, but I was like, yikes, I feel like that exactly kind of fell under that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That banner. Um, all right. Let's check in with Zachary. Um, Cause it does look like there's been some stuff in the chat. Anything alongside what we've been talking about, Zachary, we should pull up to the front here. Yeah, I know. I like Jonathan, your comment about folk horror as like an interesting subgenre, which I feel like kind of like, you know, with the witch and others, like it fits in there about fear about where we come from. And then Robert, your earlier comment, and um, I think you said vampire review series about just basically how like, films with like vampires or zombies they can often be versatile because they represent a myriad of different types of horror films so just back to that earlier comment about um how a lot of these kind of blend together in one way or another so yeah yeah i don't know uh, cutter do you remember way back when we were kind of narrowing down the the subgenres did folk horror i forget if if we gave that much consideration it's it's one of those nebulous subgenres to me at least um and we were able to cover the witch under religious horror is kind of where i put it but certainly that could be full core as well yeah i mean i i don't i don't think it came up uh if i'm, if I'm remembering but again i think we had movies that would have fit in there that were in other categories yeah. so like now i think of the witch as what I, I think earlier i called it art house horror yeah so right. there's these you know which to me is a little it is folk but it you can do full core in very different <laughs> ways than that i mean uh technically right i guess the blair witch project is full core but actually it's found footage mm -hmm. but that didn't really exist so i think part of me with the genre question is like how how is it helpful right like what is it doing to help us uh understand the movie more and understand because really all genres are are audiences sort of internalizing expectations and then mm -hmm. we throw it back up onto the movie and then the filmmaker or filmmakers have to account for or subvert or play with those so it's kind of this interest it's almost by design a blurry thing 
you can't even start the conversation unless you go, okay, it's, it's kind of like this, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, take Jaws, but it, now it's dinosaurs and now it's an island, you know, or something, you know, oh, yeah, okay. right, right. Um, so I think that for me is where the, the genre conversation is helpful because then I can go, okay, I, I know Friday the 13th is going to be psychologically trying, but not in the way that the witch is. <laughs> right. It's doing something different. Um, and that that's helpful for me both to evaluate it as a film and then also to go like, what is this doing to me um, and why, I think. It's almost as if we, you know, the subgenres provide these safety guardrails so that we know we're going in to be disturbed, but at least we know how we're going to be disturbed. And we need something like that for the horror genre. All right, let's go to Eli. But Amber, I'm not sure if you're back. If you are back, we lost you before. Um, go ahead and raise your hand and then we'll jump to you after Eli. We'll give you another try. So, um, but yeah, Eli, what's up? Yeah, uh, I was going to kind of go off of what Cutter was just saying. I think, um, the pretty much every film I think in the horror genre could technically fit under, you know, different subgenres. Um, and, you know, as kind of said earlier, you know, it might depend on what it, how it affects you, what sub subgenre you would put under. Um, but I do think the, where it comes in as helpful are the sort of tropes maybe that different subgenres employ. So I actually, caught up with scream for the first time their original scream um a couple weeks ago and you know that's it's very meta in that it addresses the tropes directly and then uses the tropes in an effective way um and so it's it, it kind of feels like the prime example of why subgenre is important because it's it's kind of um addressing the tropes and then challenging the tropes at the same time um in a very in interesting way. So, you know, and, and Scream would be a, a sla addressing slasher tropes. Um, and, um, and so it speaks through those tropes, uh, in a, in a particular way. And if, if you're not totally familiar with the tropes, then you, you might be confused about maybe the message that the movie is trying to get across. So it actually kind of helps to have context of I'm going to see a slasher or, I'm going to see a psychological thriller or I'm going to see, you know, a monster movie. Monsters movies usually are, they follow certain tropes and certain monsters mean certain things. And so um, I think, I think the subgenres, you know, just kind of familiarizing yourself actually could help with your viewing experience of, of horror movies. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. And great background, by the way. Um, all right, uh, Amber, uh, we'll give this another shot if you're up for it. Okay, let's hurry before my internet goes out again. Um, <laughs> I think that that's a really good point, Eli. It's, I think it's getting at something like, like precision. As our ability to understand increases or to put language to something increases, our precision increases, and then our ability to process it increases. So one thing I've been thinking about is how every kind of fear, so if you put if you have these genres of horror, each genre of horror is a genre of fear, and each kind of fear represents a kind of broken relationship. So also back to, to something Josh said about giving boundaries, genres can give boundaries around something. I wonder if genres of sin, fear, and evil, which Christian theologians have been putting together for centuries, you know, what kinds of sin, what kind of sin is this? Where does it fit on the spectrum of such and such? 
it helps us to understand and comprehend things and maybe something like ropes around a boxing ring so that we can get in and and face it in a more effective and precise way. Um, I'm curious how the group would answer the question, what kind of broken relationships do we see? Do you see in horror movies, um, you know, in The Wolfman, in Nightmare on Elm Street, in Jaws? What kind of broken relationships are there and how do the people handle them? Yeah, that's a great lens to apply to this. Um, and I'm glad to have you back. I was getting unfriended vibes, actually, Amber, when you disappeared that first time. It was like, what is happening on this on this Zoom call? So glad to have you back. Yeah, what broken relationships? I mean, going back to what I was saying about, here's how I would think about it. Um, you know, creature features and nature running amok, that's the broken relationship is between humankind and nature, I would say. Uh, the Wolfman, the broken relationship is, you know, in that character situation, um, with himself, um, you know, and his, his own ability to conduct himself as a flourishing human. Um, that's what's broken. And then if I look at, you know, the sex and death subgenre, the broken relationship there is, you could say is, um, between us and uh, sexual partners, each other as sexual beings, you know, what, what does that mean? And how are we, what's our understanding of sexuality and how is that affecting how we relate to others? So, man, I could keep going. I love that lens, but I'll, I'll maybe cut, or do you have any, any sort of different angles on that broken relationship way of thinking about horror? No, uh, yeah, I think you said it really well. I think maybe the other angle, I would say connecting to kind of biblical genres or, or why genres matter along this lines, because a lot of times if you, <laughs> the reason it's important, I think to get genres, right. Is if you're trying to ask this question of like, what is broken and not just what's broken, but how do these stories help us address the brokenness? Like, okay, so there's a broken, you know, intimate relationship between sexual partners. There's brokenness between creation and our, you know, brokenness with myself. How does that illuminate our condition in a way that we could do anything about it? And I think when you look at like these stories or the stories of the biblical text, all many of which are horrific, right? If we get the if we get the genre wrong, we risk getting the prescription wrong too. So all mm -hmm. of a sudden you you go, oh, look at the book of Revelation, which is apocalyptic. Um, it's not uh, an epistle, which is not a parable, which is not, you know, and each of these have a different assessment of our brokenness and a different sort of uh, approach or tool to be able to address that brokenness. And I think one of the things I see in, how do I want to say it in a way that's not disparaging, less than adequate biblical interpretation is to basically approach all of those as the same genre. Like they're all doing mm -hmm. the same thing, they're, you know, and I think that's where thinking in this, I really find that helpful of what's broken. Um, what does it reveal? And I think that too is an expression of the genre um, and why getting it right is really helpful because I mean, the slasher thing is interesting. My first thought was, uh, or not slasher, the uh, um, like sexual violence, because it also reveals a brokenness between sort of like the fourth wall. So like, how does the society consuming the films sexualize the victims that we see on screen? Mm. So there's there's like also a brokenness there that only is illuminated, I think, by the fact that it's, whether it's a scream or something else, like a genre actually playing with that societal kind of sensibility. I don't know yeah. if any of that makes sense, but usually when I say something long-winded like that, it's in response to a really interesting, provocative question. <laughs> so that's, so Amber, thank you. That's a really fun way to think about it. 
No, that makes that makes sense to me, Cutter. And your last point um, about breaking the fourth wall makes me think of both Friday the 13th and Halloween opening with the killer's POV, right? The camera takes on the killer's point of view, ostensibly making us, the audience, the killer. And so we're, and in those situations, both of those openings are the murders of teens, um, you know, who are making out or get the, the camp counselors who have snuck away from singing the camp songs. Um, and so now we become the punishers, right? We're the voyeurs and the punishers. There is a lot going on by that choice to open those movies with the the POV of the killers. Andrew, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, this is kind of part of the conflicting effect, I think, of horror is that it makes us culpable while at the same time exploring our own, you know, anxieties or, you know, what we were talking about with like broken convers or broken relationships um, and what the nature of those relationships are. That is kind of integral to all horror. It can be, it's a, you know, easily applicable question uh, to add to any of that. Um, what Eli was talking about too, with the, the meta concept, um, just to kind of like tangent hard kind of, um, I feel like all those meta ones, they feel a, an urgency or uh, a way to kind of, they have to exposit kind of to the audience to get everybody on board with what the trope is you know there's kind of a limited amount of tropes which makes horror such a a great genre to kind of dissect but when you think about like cabin in the woods and scream you know there is kind of a <laughs> a a space that the filmmakers need to take to kind of like explain the rules to the audience you know to the uninitiated but I, I think even so, though, even if it's not explained to the audience, horror or any you know genre should be able to speak for itself, um, in a sense as well. Yeah, um, it's fun for those who know the rules, um, but it's not necessary um, if the story is good enough. Yeah, and a lot of those by the time they came out, you know, the language had already been built that they were going to play with. And so some explaining is probably necessary, but not a ton. Um, Lisa, what would you like to add? Get off mute. Um, so after all this really interesting and 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 complex discussions of subgenres and things like that, I have a super simple comment. Um, but it's always been my answer, not so much as why would you as a Christian want to watch that, but why you would want to watch it. But because I'm a Christian, it has this bent of just it. Sometimes it takes the worst to bring out the best in us mm. and not in every film for, for sure. But in a lot of them, when it is a good ending, when someone has triumphed since horror films are, you know, essentially based in evil, whether they're a creature feature or then obviously it it is a, it's a thrilling demonstration of, of good triumphing. And, you know, that for me, I think, you know, Cutter, you mentioned Christian filmmaking and that that's, that's just not the way that I roll, you know, kind of those gentle dramas have less, just less appeal for me. So, you know, give me some more grit. And that's, you know, when you have someone and oftentimes it's someone who, you know, really is 
being Christ for someone. They make a sacrifice to save someone else. Um, or you see a group of people band together to protect each other or to protect a weaker um, part of the group. That's always been part of it for me is, is just seeing even in a very secular context, but that's good triumphing. That is God at work in our, in our world. Yeah. And you're, you're right, Lisa, that that's rare in horror, but I think when we do encounter it, it makes it all the more powerful. I think this is sort of what Cutter was getting at with the Babadook. And, and I agree, I wouldn't, in case no one here has seen it, I would not want to detail exactly how that film gets to where you're talking about, because it's the most powerful thing about the film. For me, um, I think The Sixth Sense works similarly. And honestly, I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people don't consider it horror, because it does come around to that ending you're not used to um, in a horror film. Um, another psychological horror, recent woman filmmaker, um, Oh, Erica Natalie Wood, but Relic is the film. I might be getting her name wrong. Creepier sort of happy ending for sure that tiptoes towards body horror. But for me, at least worked towards that hopeful way that you're talking about, Lisa. Uh, that's how I took it. Yeah, definitely with Relic, you know, just even though it's not maybe not a happy ending, but coming to peace, making that's a peace, good word. That's, that's something that we also have to do is making peace. Mm with evil and brokenness in our life when it can't be vanquished. Yeah, that's a great word. Uh, that's a good way to put it. I did see a question in the chat here, um, uh, Zachary, I'm going to steal your job because Brian said he he had one but has kids, can't unmute. Um, let's see, do Jordan Peele films fall in any certain category or subgenre or are they a subgenre of their own? I ask because I realize I've been subconsciously avoiding most horror films except for his. Interesting. Okay. I so... I've so appreciated Peel's films that they are sort of invitation to horror in general for me. On top of that, what horror pathways should I follow first if Peel is the one who opened the door for me? Keen to not keep avoiding horror in general as I've never really done it intentionally. And I think horror is my biggest film blind spot. Thank you, Brian. Great question. And I bet you're not alone. Um, given what a huge hit Get Out was in particular, there had to be audience members um, who weren't all that familiar with horror and were drawn to that. And again, that's one I hear people say, well, was that really horror? And then I, I have to say, well, do you remember the last 20 minutes? I mean, it's, just, it's really gory. Um, so does anyone have an immediate answer? I don't know, Cutter, I see you've got your hand there. Um, is that something you want to speak to or, or not this? It was an old conversation, so we okay. can... Okay, we'll come back to you. We'll come back to you. Um, I would say, and someone else can raise their hand if um, they have a better answer for Brian, uh, Jordan Peele's films being, you know, Us is a home invasion um, horror movie. Uh, Get Out, I describe as prophetic horror, but I think Us is prophetic horror as well. I mean, the target there is the idol of consumerism to me. Um, and you know, Nope is sci-fi horror, or maybe that's not even horror. I don't know. Um, Brian, if uh, Peel, one of his, the things that's brilliant about him is he's so nimble and, and he has such dexterity and he can jump among these genres fluidly and not make them seem like they're clashing. Um, so does, if anyone else has... I'm going to have to think a little bit more about where you should go next if Peel was your entry point. If anyone else has an answer for that, maybe drop it in the chat for Brian. Uh, but Cutter, what did you want to touch on from before? I, I was just going to say to Lisa's point, well, there's two things came to mind. One, I know we're talking movies, not TV. And I already referenced Fall the House of Usher uh, and how it tried to be prophetic. And then it was like, 
have like all these sort of soliloquies of calling out the man anyway um otherwise i thought it was cool uh but true detective season one like for me captures i think what you were saying lisa better than like anything i've seen in a while and if anybody's seen that i will spoil it for you but matthew mcconaughey's character russ cole maybe i think is his name um they go through all this like just awfulness sort of like quasi occultish serial killer type stuff he's a nihilist the whole time um, and at the very end, he comes out of the hospital and he goes, you look up there at the at the night sky and there's just so much darkness. Um, and he's like, but there's all these tiny little bits of light. And, he's and it kind of ends with his reflection. He goes, and I think the light's winning. Ba -ba -ba! And it's like, wait, what? I just went through. I went through hell for eight or 10 episodes, whatever, however mm -hmm. long that was. And his final thought from the nihilist was that. And I was like, oh, that's now. For a lot of people, that's not enough, right? They're like, I need, I need more light, I need more <laughs> redemption. <laughs> but, but to me, I just go, you know, we're we're in a moment, and we keep having these moments as you know, real people living in the real world, where I think that the more truthful stories are the ones that give us that. Um, the ones that, well, it turns out, yeah, it's still, I guess, up in the air. But I think of like the blind side, right? That was so hopeful and shiny and lovely. And it turns out a lot of it was just fabricated. And and so I think as as I'm thinking of why I like things as a film goer, but then also why audiences do, and then why as Christians, we might rally around those, is those resonate with people, I think, because they're more true to life than something that's just kind of polished and pristine. And the last thing I'll say is what first sparked my, my thinking when you said that was, so we'll have Pete Doctor on the podcast, who's head of Pixar. And I was like, I don't want to talk about family movies. I want to talk about horror. And he's like, I hate horror. I don't make that. I'm like, all your movies are horror films, my friend. Um, they use horror tropes. If you watch any of the Toy Stories, I mean, Monsters, Inc. is all about manufacturing fear. I mean, like just over and again. But but really, I got down to ask him. I said, can you can you tell us an actual story that has integrity without any kind of difficulty at all? And he said, actually, we talk about this all the time because we make movies for kids and he's like, I actually don't think it's possible to make, to tell a story where nothing bad happens. And for me, I'm like, if the head of Pixar is saying that, now you talk about adults consuming films that are doing these things. I'm like, there has to be, there has to be something there that's dark, something there that's um, difficult. Otherwise, the, the light, as you were saying, just is impossible to see. And on balance, you got to figure that out. But uh, I'm going, huh, that, that means something when the head of Disney Pixar says, you can't tell a story without something awful happening. Um, and that's why you have Finding Nemo opening with the brutal annihilation of all of Nemo's kids and his mom. Mm -hmm. Boom. That's the start of the movie, if you remember. Right. And mm -hmm. ooh, that's a brutal that's a brutal way to open a kid's movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, puts puts into context so many before Pixar, even Disney movies that include that sort of trauma right in them. And, and that's the reason I think they we remember them so intensely, even as adults. Um, I did have uh, the Relic director's name wrong, so I just want to get that right here. It's Natalie Erica James. Um, so just want to make sure I mention that. And yes, do see Relic if you haven't haven't yet. We are wow. This always happens quickly, running out of time. But I think if there's one more comment or question, um, we could probably fit that in. Otherwise, if you haven't voted yet in the poll, go ahead and vote. And the other thing before we get to Robert, I'll mention, um, probably most people here have already shared 
and followed each other on Letterboxd. But if not, drop your username in the chat here and um, we can continue to meet each other there and and have further conversations. Uh, Letterboxd is, is the, really the only social media site, if you want to call it that, you should be on right now at this point. So, uh, But Robert, what did you want to add? Hi, uh, this is uh, going to be a little dense. Uh, the theology related to horror that I'm most familiar with is a academic article connecting ideas of Rudolf Otto and uh, the uh, analysis of uh, the elements of mysticism uh, across comparative religious studies. Uh, this uh, article claimed that the reason why horror and science fiction often get lumped together on in marketing or, or fandoms is because a lot of them depend on trying to invoke a sense of a larger cosmic presence, which you then have to grapple with. Uh, and that uh, the, this is a, a kind of a modern recreation of experiences that used to be classed as mysticism. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was curious if uh, anyone had uh, heard of this concept before. You might appreciate episode four <laughs> I was of Be say, Afraid. <laughs> that name sounded familiar to me. Yeah, go ahead, Cutter. Yeah, yeah, um, you're right. Uh, and and it's actually some of my early work back in the day um, was dealing with sort of numinous experiences. And it was probably for me one of the setups to why horror worked um, or was a natural place for me to go in terms of like research and writing. Um, but you know, the language has changed now, but he and, um, uh, another guy, uh, William James, father of American psychology also was really interested in like mystical sort of conversion experiences, the psychology of it. Um, and so there's this whole sort of stream of folks who are kind of observing these phenomena pre-film, um, that would say, yeah, it's, uh, what we would call a religious or supernatural experience by necessity involves what Rudolf Otto said is the mysterium tremendum et fascinans latin for uh a an overwhelming mystery that is equal parts uh, alluring and attractive and terrifying so so terror is at the heart of religious experience according to Otto. um and he kind of maps it out both historically and then um even today and that's actually why part of the reason why my podcast is called be afraid so josh's is fear not which is right um, and I said, well, I was first thinking like the, the arc of that podcast is going to be, um, perfect love casts out fear. And then I kept running in thinking like, oh, but wait, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I was like, so maybe if we take Otto at his word, maybe fear itself isn't the problem. Maybe it's, we don't fear rightly. Um, maybe our fears become misdirected and and we're fearing the wrong thing. So when, we, when we're told don't fear, what we're being told is don't fear the wrong things, right? <laughs> um, fear the right things, because if God is who we claim God to be, you, you got to show some respect. Um, and if you don't, uh, that's where the problems go. So um, Otto is a fascinating figure. Uh, you should all read The Idea of the Holy is the book where he talks about the numinous, um, a really great uh, text. But not really anything to do with horror, but it's a wonderful philosophical text. 
Well, thank you, Cutter. This worked really well to have you be with us for this conversation. Uh, aside from Be Afraid, anything else horror or film related, really, that um, Fuller is up to or you've got going on at Brem Film worth pointing folks to? Well, I would have invited you to our Fear Makers conference two weeks ago, but that just that just wrapped. Um, but actually, we're probably going to do that yearly. Um, and one thing you might or my hope is if if the donor comes through again, uh, we did a pitch contest, actually. And um, and basically the, the question or the assignment was it's uh, we want you to pitch a, a short film that is a adapt adaptation of a biblical text. And it could be a biblical text that's a horror text or one that you wouldn't think is horror, but you're making a horror movie out of it. Um, and so one submission that I still think was the best, but I didn't I didn't win, took uh, Genesis and the two became one flesh. And all of a sudden it's a guy that gets married. And then over time, his wife, like it starts getting blurred as to if it's him or her doing different things because they like literally merge together into one flesh. And I was like, hey. That is brilliant. I've <laughs> I've never I've never thought of that text as a horror text, but yeah, that's horrific. That's like body horror at its finest. Mm. Um, anyway, so there's uh, that'll be next year. We'll do another pitch contest. Winner gets five thousand bucks, um, and we'll probably try to help you produce your short film if you win that. And then the only other thing we just released a thing called um, uh, "Don't Look Away," uh, and it's a devotional on a number of horror texts in the Bible. Um, and so it's, uh, we partnered with a group called Alabaster who, I don't know if you know, those sort of coffee table looking Bibles. So it's really kind of visually rich. Um, and it's basically saying, how do we think about some of these difficult passages in the Bible? Um, and how do we place those in conversation with horror films and, uh, literature as a way to unpack them? So. All right. All good stuff. And I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you hope to do the conference again, because I had a conflict and couldn't make it out for that, um, this year. So maybe that'll work next time. Thank you so much, Cutter. Uh, Zachary, thanks for moderating the chat. Uh, as always, good to have you doing that. Um, let's see what else is going on. Of course, if you haven't checked out my book, fear not, uh, please do so. And please, if you have, leave an Amazon re review. Even if you didn't buy it there, go ahead and leave an Amazon review. That's uh, the best way to kind of get the word out for fear not. So thank you in advance. If you haven't been listening to the Think Christian podcast very long, this is actually sort of an annual thing we've been doing for three or four years. We've done a Christian defense of horror episode uh, around this time of year, and we would usually pair, uh, I think I saw Malignant show up in the chat. We'd usually pair a new horror film with a classic title. I think, was it last year that we did Malignant or is Malignant two years old at this point? Anyway, we have a couple of those episodes in the archives for the Think Christian podcast. So for more horror talk, check those out. As for the TC Movie Club, let's see. Would you believe our next gathering, according to our quarterly schedule, might not be until, yeah, like after the new year in, you know, deep winter? Last year, we did something on the Oscars, which went over pretty well. I think it was our best attended one. So maybe we'll do that again. Maybe maybe we'll put it out for a vote via email um, and see if folks are interested in doing that again compared to some other options. But 
In any case, we do plan to gather again in a couple of months. Um, but thank you for being a part of tonight's. Just quick look at that poll before we do sign off. Psychological Horror did hold uh, with it, 68% of the vote. Slashers, interestingly, uh, way behind, 15% of the vote, but got second place. And then a couple votes for other um, from what we offered there. So that is interesting. I think I'm, I think I'm with the Psychological Horror folks if I did have to choose myself. Uh, so thanks for being a part of that poll. Thank you for coming and have a happy Halloween, everyone. Take care. <laughs>